Hello and welcome to the Confidence Coaching Program. In this session, we are joined by the wonderful Maddie Snow, and we're going to be looking at identifying the perfect plan. Even when we have the best intentions, the right mindset, every now and again, life can just seem to get the better of us. Throughout this session, what we focus on is we explore the impact of stress and how we can manage it better. We will explore how to manage your language, your thoughts, and how those can be the key to unlock meaningful results. I'm looking forward to working with you guys. Let me know what was your biggest takeaway. Record, and then pass over to host. Okay. And you should be all good to go. Okay. Let me see if I can get this up. I'm working with a slower computer, so. <laughs> it's all good. It is all good. And share. All right. Are you seeing it? It says started. I think it's just loading. Not yet. Goodness gracious. Okay, you're seeing it. What are you seeing now? I just says like Maddie Snow has started screen sharing, but it's just a blank screen. It's just a black screen. Hmm, that doesn't make sense. Which yeah, you would think I know. Oh right, here we go. Yep, I think we're good you to see go. See it now? Okay. Yep. Yep. Present. It's lock and loaded. Awesome. Okay. Is it big? Why is this happening? Hmm. We seem to be having some technical difficulties. Please be with us. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry about this. It's never happened before. It's all good. It's all good. And I just had it up, and then. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's always when you when you need it, isn't it? More than anything. I know, right? There okay. we go. Yeah. yeah okay. It's okay. Here it goes. Cool. So, I'm Maddie. I actually worked in medicine. I was a pathologist assistant until last November. Um, I had also been coaching on the side. And um, what started me into coaching was a huge period of burnout and stress. And I had no idea how to get out of it. So I started educating myself on how stress works. Um, I got a new, uh, nutrition coach certification and kind of delved into that and then just completely fell in love with the psychology of stress and um, helping people through it. So now I kind of have a long-term goal of building an army of incredibly efficient, productive people who also can manage their stress, which, um, and so I'm spreading the word. So we can go ahead. All right. The first point that I want to make is that stress is not a bad thing. It actually keeps us alive. Our stress response is designed to keep us alive and it does a really great job. The problem is the world that we live in. The problem is everybody else. So it's also how we view stress. We view it as unhealthy, uncomfortable, and something that we want to avoid. So as soon as we start feeling the least bit stressed, we try to bury it under things, um, which is, ends up being the issue. So the goal is not a stress-free life, unfortunately. The goal is a stress-healthy life where we can adapt to our stressors and move through them in productive ways that don't end up making us frustrated and angry, and then in turn, more stress. So 
a key point is that there's two kinds of stress. And this may be a really high level, maybe ultra scientific chat, but if you guys have any questions, drop them in the chat and we can talk about them later, no problem. So the two types of stress are acute and chronic stress. Acute is what you feel, okay? So I have, I'm nervous about public speaking. So right now I'm a little shaky. I'm, you know, I can definitely tell my heart rate's up. I'm a little sweaty, those kind of things. That's the acute stress. It's actually really good. It's our human superpower. It's gonna get you through that last rep sometimes. It's gonna make you perform at your absolute best. And the stories you hear about mothers pulling cars off their children, that's adrenaline, that's acute stress. It actually has a number of long-term benefits too. Um, it increases our resilience. It increases our immune response and our memory long-term. There's some science out there that suggests that if you are exposed to acute stress more frequently throughout your life, you have a lower incidence of um, dementia later in life because you're constantly flooding your body with quick stress hormones and kind of flushing the system through. Um, it also gives us the ability to think quicker in situations that are low stress. So if we expose ourselves to high stress situations every once in a while, um, you'll see this in, especially like if there's EMTs or ER doctors or somebody out there that like really has one of those first responder, even in a situation that isn't a first response situation, they will still think faster than most people around them because it's, their system is primed that way. And it increases our sense of control. The more we move through stress, the more we prove to our brain that we can move through stress because our brain is constantly almost doubting us. It wants to keep us safe, so it assumes that we're in danger all the time. So the more often that we move through those stressful moments and show it that even if something's uncomfortable, we can react to it effectively, we increase that control and we can take on the next big stressor. So in summary, Occasional brief stress keeps us at our absolute best. The problem is chronic stress, which is the bad stress. Um, it is basically acute stress that doesn't have a resolution. So it, um, after we initially have that rush of adrenaline and every, all of those good hormones, if everything is left as is, Let's say we have a fight with our significant other, or we're constantly fighting with our significant other, or we have a really toxic work environment that keeps having those acute bursts, but there's no resolution to that cycle. It starts having negative effects on our system because our bodies aren't meant to harbor those, those hormones long-term. So it does the opposite of everything acute stress does for us. Um, it decreases our memory. Our immune system goes way, way down, um, which has been, obviously devastating over the last year because we've had a ton of chronic stress leading into pandemic and then we had the pandemic and then throughout the pandemic additional chronic stress that's just been annihilating immune systems like crazy it also increases cardiovascular disease and abdominal weight gain specifically um typically not all over weight gain but we look at like the old white male ceo as the picture of um cardiovascular disease and kind of the abdominal weight gain and he carries constant stress with him. There's a higher incidence of heart attack, um, that kind of thing. And then there's, it also increases inflammation throughout your whole body, which can contribute to autoimmune conditions, especially in women. Women are, we have great immune systems. They're actually better than men's, but that means that when they attack 
us, they attack us harder than men do. So the type of stress matters because originally our stress system was built for things like running from saber-toothed tigers. It evolved to keep us safe from acute stressors that have a defined ending. Today's stress is working in demanding careers with high emotional states between us and other people around us, low emphasis on regularly fueling ourselves and resting. Actually, like, especially over here, there's a high priority put on people who can work as much as they can and sleep as little as they can. Um, and there has been some studies that have said that UK can, can take their vacation more often than the US. The US is incredibly difficult to get people to take vacation time. But um, essentially our stressors today have no defined ending. So they just compile one after another. And we have no way of ending them because you can't deal with every single stressor right in the moment that it occurs. So because the unresolved acute stress isn't leaving, we have a constant escape pattern within our body. So um, as a visual representation kind of of how the loop of stress generally happens, we have a stressor like seeing a lion the stress system is triggered. We're flooded with adrenaline. Um, we suck up all of the glucose in our system. We are ready to run. That's what our body's preparing us to do. We get incredibly hungry after we're stressed and during stress because our body is trying to make sure that we are fueled to take on whatever we're about to do, whether we're gonna fight it or run. So we run and we escape and then we close that stress loop. Unfortunately, we're stuck in the run and escape generally. Sometimes we're stuck in the triggered situation today and rarely are we making it all the way through each of these stressors. And generally when we finally do feel the stress, it's been piling up for a while and a single day or weekend off doesn't really cut it. We need more consistent rest and small bursts. So instead of our bodies needing to sleep for 14 hours, we need to have those self-care bathtub moments <laughs> where we're paying attention to what we need on a daily basis. And a good representation of stress, I think is a bucket every day. You have your bucket. And sometimes there's already stuff in the bucket from the day before, usually there is. But throughout the day, you continue to gather things in your bucket. Physical and emotional stress is both taken on the same way. And if you guys wouldn't mind dropping in the chat, if any of these kind of resonate with you, um, that'd be really interesting to know kind of where we're skewed on physical or emotional. But as we go through the day, we gather things like overworking, overexercising, um, not getting enough sleep, eating irregularly or under eating, so all physical stressors. And then emotional stressors include a wealth of things, but definitely things like societal expectations. Um, men and women have different expectations, but for sure. Um, and then also work culture expectations. The lack of self-compassion in general, it's really hard to be nice to ourselves. And it's been proven over and over again that when we are nice to ourselves, our bodies respond in a really um, positive way as if we're being soothed by someone else. So being compassionate with yourself is actually a huge, a really great way to fight stress. Um, setting unrealistic expectations, toxic work environments, and then a lack of boundaries. It's, it's tough. We were never taught how to form boundaries. 
what's too much, what's too little. Um, sometimes you even need boundaries within yourself for knowing when it's time to stop and walk away from things, which is incredibly difficult. Absolutely huge. I'm just going to read a couple there. So we have social expectations, definitely more in the emotional column, insufficient sleep during the pandemic, emotional stress coming out of the pandemic, emotional toxic work environment, lack of self-compassion, definitely physical overworking, lack of sleep, eating irregularly. Majority of my stress is just due to the highly demanding stressful career, um, insufficient sleep, lack of self-compassion. However, it is improving. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. Good shares team, awesome. let's keep it coming. Awesome. Yeah, that's and those are all incredibly valid and those emotional ones and the, they just all pile. So acutely, the way that stress works in our brain, there are two parts of our brain that are involved in the stress process. The amygdala is kind of our lizard brain survival aspect. It's why you slam the brakes on in the car before you think, oh gosh, is that car going to hit me? Should I slam the brakes on? What should I do? You don't think about it. Your foot goes to the brake because your brain knows where the brake is and the amygdala tells it we might be in danger. Let's be careful here. The prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that thinks. So when you encounter a stressor, your amygdala goes off like crazy. And the, in an ideal situation, your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex have a conversation. Your prefrontal cortex looks through all of the memories that you have, your entire file cabinet, and it looks at ways you've responded to this situation in the past, um, different situations that you've experienced that are similar to this, and it finds the severity of the threat, and then it, from that, it creates a reaction. And this can happen really fast, like in the car, slamming on the brake. Where's the brake? Oh, I found it. Great. It can happen slowly, which is what we wanna to try to aim for when these things are not life-threatening stressors, um, especially when we're finding ourselves getting worked up about things that we know we are detrimental to us moving forward. Engaging this conversation between the amygdala and prefrontal cortex involves asking ourselves questions and trying to get out of our emotional brain. So if you're generally thinking in emotions and you're not thinking words, a good way to figure this out is if you can write down what you're thinking. If you can write it down in words, you can engage your prefrontal cortex. If when you go to write something down, your, your reaction is just kind of like, Wah! that's a good sign that you're actually not operating in your prefrontal cortex and your amygdala is taken over. So it's definitely louder than our prefrontal cortex. But the more we exercise this pathway, the more automatic it becomes to check in with the front of our brain, okay? And the more often that we do that, we create this been there, done that effect. And we react less to that stressor or lesser stressors in the future, and we can take on bigger stressors. A fantastic, unfortunate example of this is the pandemic. I frequently say, if Maddie of 2019 could look like could look forward to see what she would be dealing with in 2021 or 2020, she would be mind blown. And if I could look back at 2019 and see the exact things that I thought were stressful in 2019, no, they would be so small. So moving through these gigantic stressful events is what enables us to take on other stressors in the future. Important thing to remember is that the system is working as if every stressor is a threat to our life because we were not made, we did not evolve from having small stressors, not small necessarily, but having emotional stressors in our lives, 
having toxic work environments, those kind of things were not built into our system. So they'll treat the same, they'll treat every stressor the same way, excuse me. So a, an example of the immediate kind of reaction and conversation between the amygdala and prefrontal cortex is, let's say you see something that looks like a snake. First reaction is it's gonna be a snake because that is the safest reaction to have. You don't wanna assume it's a stick. Your prefrontal cortex gets involved and pulls out of the filing cabinet and goes, no, 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 wait, seen it before, it's a stick. Sticks aren't dangerous unless someone's hitting you with it. You're totally fine. You reevaluate and that stress response is negated entirely. Um, and then a real life example of this is procrastination because our amygdalas love responding to anything that is intimidating, new, scary, was frustrating in the past. And they love, they love responding to it in, with quick fixes, like smothering it, ignoring it, pushing it off till later. That's a quick fix. Right now, the stress response is gone. We can deal with it later. The amygdala doesn't care that later it's gonna become another stressor and then you're gonna add on the fact that you haven't finished that thing. It just cares that right now you feel safe. So when we give into that resistance consistently, we don't sit and kind of ask ourselves why, what's the harm in trying in starting this thing? What if I started it with um, whatever we're putting off? Let's start this project in a small, small way. We can just do a two minutes of it and see where it goes. That's involving our prefrontal cortex. Really leaning into our amygdala would be that, I don't think so, eh, I'm just gonna go out. I just need a drink. I think I need a drink and some food and I'll be fine. That's what I need first. And the more often we do that, the more often the prefrontal cortex goes, well, I guess that's the reaction we use every time this thing comes up. And so it validates that response. And it seems, and it, it also says it's a successful habit because it did, it did make you more comfortable but it keeps us in this survival loop of never being able to leave our stress zone. I thought just to quickly add on to this one, one of the guys in here, Anna, who's on the call actually shared a video with the team. And it's like, you're going through, she was speaking about routines more than anything, but we're learning we have our stress routines, which are responses. And it's like walking through or the mind is like a jungle. And all of a sudden you start carving out the paths in the jungle. You take the regular routes, and whatever is the like the path of least resistance is that, but you need to ensure that you're forging your way through that you need to make the paths first. And if all you've learned is this snake filled, stick filled route, mm -hmm. then you're always going to be reactive in comparison when you can actually take the step back and have a bit clearer picture in terms of where you're going, you're carving out the right paths to take. Oh, this is this is huge. Really, really enjoying this, Maddie. Thank you. Oh, good, good. I'm so glad. And that is that is key. That's another way of actually just defining this whole route. It's, um, I say a lot of times, it's like the, the patterns, the habits that we have and the patterns of thought that we have, judgments, biases, um, all kinds of things are like super highways. And everything else, just like you said, is a jungle. And so you take the machete and you have to chop through the jungle and eventually it does become a super highway. But the work is, and people think it's impossible. I can't think like that. I can't create that. I can't, you can. We're all using like maybe eight to 10% of our max capacity brain. And we all got to this, like humans right now are communicating over Zoom and where did we start? So we are fully capable if we can figure out how to get through it. But yeah, I love that. So the goal is to hear your reactive brain because it's 
there to keep you safe and it's there to give you some data on how you feel about situations. But you don't wanna listen necessarily to the reactive brain. You wanna to listen to your thinking brain and engage it as much as possible. So our reactive brain comes out when we have any kind of confrontation, it's pretty frequent. Um, it's very emotional and it loves quick fixes. It will always go for alcohol, food, or procrastination. Those three are its like favorite go-to's. Um, that's frequently why eating at night, and we'll go into that a little bit later too, um, just in a couple slides, that has to do with energy, energy management too. But the, when we're run down, our stress bucket is full. We are generally acting purely from our reactive brain, and we are our lowest selves in every sense. So engaging that thinking brain can be asking curious questions about why you feel a certain way. Um, that can happen a lot, especially in discussions right now. In, especially in the US, we are having tons of discussions um, about all kinds of movements. And there's a lot of confrontation going on. And there's no one asking themselves first, I'm curious why you think that. And that alone can pull you out of a highly reactive state. And it can also pull other people around you out of a reactive state because it's hard to be defensive when someone's curious. And it's hard to be reactive when you're tapping into your curiosity. Um, another way is any kind of movement, especially walking, will kind of close the stress loop and show your body. It simulates a little bit running from the tiger and shows your body some kind of um, activity to get that stress going. Um, asking yourself, question, yourself questions is similar to the I'm curious, but just asking yourself different kind of complicated questions. If you can start answering questions about what you're doing and why you're doing it the way you are, you're involving the front of your head, which is what we want to do. Can we just take um, a wee second there, guys? Let's scribble down some questions. Just in the chat box, let's share some and then read some out. Uh, I'm going to go first in terms of what helps me through this. It's very simple. Is what action will move this emotion? What do I need to do to start thinking a little bit better? So um, if you've got nothing to share, throw it down in the chat. We'll maybe just come back to them in a little bit. But just spend, a, spend the next 10 seconds and just think what question logically works for you so you're creating your own path. Love that. Um, something that can really help too if you're feeling like you're in a really stressed state or you've been working too long um describing things around you because the amygdala can't describe can't describe things so if there is like anything there's a pillow in front of me it's green it has a weird geometric pattern on it i don't know what it's called because i'm not an artist like that kind of thing if you can pull yourself into describing things that will pull in the front of your brain and then you can go back to the task at hand and figuring out how to actually handle it anything creative automatically takes you out of that survival brain um, we can't be creative and in a survival brain at the same time. So a lot of people do 20, 30 minutes of reading some fiction, or um, I have some clients who really love um, like the adult coloring book. We'll take a, a minute and do an adult coloring book and it's like maybe 10 minutes and they're back and it's a completely different person. Examining what you can control is another one that pulls in your thinking brain. There is a lot that you can't control, but looking at the individual aspects of a situation that you can control helps your brain, helps soothe your brain so that it knows that you can move forward and it doesn't need to protect you from that situation. And then of course, taking deep breaths, usually four seconds in, hold for four seconds, and then four seconds out. And that is called box breathing. 
but it's that can actually um, pull in your parasympathetic nervous system and soothe that fight or flight response. So this is again, closing the loop. Our brains love completion. They love outrunning the tiger, finishing the stress. And a good way of replicating that is walking. Um, I do have a client who dances with his daughter at the end of every workday before dinner because he works from home now and he could not separate like walking through the door and he hated bringing that into his dinner with his daughter. So now they do a five to 10 minute dance party before dinner. He feels great. He can talk to his daughter. It's like a complete, it's re resolving the stress of the day and showing your body that now we're moving on to a different process. Yeah, I think that's so huge. And we call it the the switch action. Like how long is your, your morning routine? Well, I start work at nine, I get up at half past seven. So right, it's an hour and a half, right? You finish work at five. How long before you're on the couch? Um, 20 past five. You need to have yeah. something, like, even if it's just change your clothes, like you go to work in one outfit, yeah. you go to home. We don't say it's uh, a rule we have is you don't switch off, you switch on to family time. You switch on to rest, you switch on to Netflix, you switch on to Game of Thrones, you switch on to whatever you're watching or, or whatever that is. But I love the I love the dance party. Yeah, uh, I think we're yeah. all going to go into Amazon and buy the adult coloring in books. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like a really great quick fix. But, um, no, and you'll notice too, if you don't take that time and you slide right into Netflix, you may spend that whole hour after work not having any idea what you watched. Or if you re you'll find yourself rewatching the same thing over and over again, you need a buffer. I call them like the morning buffer and the evening buffer. And you just move through that. It's like, it doesn't need, and everyone assumes everything has to be long. Nothing needs to be an hour long. But mm. it needs to have some kind of recognition of completion. Yeah, or 45 minutes deciding what to watch and then... <laughs> yes! Yes! I'm going to show up there. Okay. Okay. So energy management. This, this one is crucial. So at the beginning of our day, we start with a relatively empty bucket and our stress is the lowest it will be typically throughout the day. Our brain also has the most capacity for thought at the beginning of the day. So our prefrontal cortex is fully engaged. As we go through the day, our prefrontal cortex, we are battling stressors, physical and emotional stressors throughout the day, and it just gets worn down. It's like any other part of our body. It needs its sleep, it needs to rest. So by the end of the day, we are significantly less capable of higher thought, and that's just science. It doesn't have anything to do with willpower or anything's wrong with us. It's just that by the end of the day, there is no decision-making to be had. So a really great way of getting around this is lowering the bar of entry. If you have a workout that you know that you're gonna do at the end of a day, make have a workout that's less strenuous planned. Have something that you know you can opt into. Um, I like to say with my clients, try two minutes of something and don't make it. This will be the best 45 minute workout of my life just two minutes of something and we'll see how it goes. Um, having a plan for food at the end of the day, especially snacks, because everyone thinks that they're not going to snack at night because that's not what they wanna do, but we're all gonna snack at night. So if you have a planned snack that you're okay with eating, your, your brain, you'll prime your brain with that snack in mind and you'll go straight there rather than the easiest option other than that, which will be an entire bag of something. Um, 
Also not having important emotionally charged conversations at night. Maybe putting a stopper in something that you and your partner just can't agree on until you have more prefrontal cortex available because more fights happen in the evening than any other time, which adds on to our stress load. And especially when we're hungry, we're just the less evolved versions of us. Um, and then prioritizing our boundaries is absolutely key for us and people around us. It just makes us better people. We are able, I like to prioritize boundaries in a way that I communicate to people that I'm my best self when I show up a certain way. I don't respond to clients after a certain hour, but I love getting their messages first thing in the morning when I wake up, those kind of things, because that's when I'm going to be able to respond. And when you're not setting boundaries, and I'm sure Matt's covered boundaries a million times, I'm sure everybody has, but um, when you're not setting boundaries, you're, be, you're setting yourself up to become resentful towards yourself, your work, and the people that you love. When we're not setting boundaries, we become resentful. Can you just say that again? Like, <laughs> like say that again. Like, say that again. Say it with a fist. <laughs> when we are not setting boundaries, we're setting ourselves up to become resentful towards everyone we love and everything we love. And every time we push, when we set the boundaries and we push them a little bit further, we're giving a little bit more of ourselves away that we're not okay with. And that will bite us in the end. So another part of energy management is that part of our brain's job is to weigh how extreme a threat is, right? Um, it doesn't necessarily need to think about how to react to a tiger. It just goes ahead and runs because it's not gonna waste additional energy on you potentially dying. The problem about, you know, when this comes into modern life is that when we frame tasks or problems as disasters or crises, those words have meaning to us and our reactive brain puts them in a list of severe threats. So if we're going around seeing everything as a severe threat, and sometimes you may even have this person in your life where everything is the, is, is the worst possible scenario. And they, they seem to have a lot of worst possible scenarios, but never seem to, and they're busy, but they're never really resolving anything or getting anything done. And it's because we can't get anything done if we're constantly reacting from our reactive brain. We need to be able to pull our prefrontal cortex in to problem solve. So um, phrasing things like um, framing things as challenges is a really great way not seeing everything as a disaster, but instead as a challenge. And even in our language, we meet challenges, we avo avoid disasters. And our brain, that means something to our brain. Language is incredibly important to humans. And so when you've already framed something a certain way, your brain already has decided how you're gonna treat that. It's gonna run from the tiger, it's gonna avoid the disaster, but it's gonna meet the challenge and it's gonna solve the problem. Similarly, if we're focusing on things that we have no control over, um, a big one is weight. We have no control over what we weigh. Gravity has all of that and our body systems. We have control over what we can do consistently to change that, but, and, but focusing on the weight aspect of it is focusing on something that we cannot change. And so it gives our brain a hopelessness. And when our brain feels hopeless, it reacts with stress and then eventually gives up and burns out because every single time it gets on the scale, no matter what it does, this weight is not changing. No, but can you walk further? Have you been walking every day? Can you lift more? Are you making better choices in what you're eating? Those are things that you can control. And when your brain sees that you're able to make those changes, it gobbles that stuff up. 
the stuff that it sees consistently that it can't control, it gives up on. So in summary, stress is necessary and very healthy and a healthy stress response builds resilience and makes us more capable of handling life stressors without triggering a life-saving response every time. And our resilience increases every time we, as we spend less time in our survival loop and we're able to build the pathway between our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex. And closing the stress loop as often as possible, even with small stressors, helps avoid the accumulation. So breaks throughout the day, at the end of the day, having that buffer that closes out the day for you. If you have a big presentation that's been really stressful, a walk afterwards with maybe a podcast, 10 or 15 minutes is generally plenty to get everything kind of resolved. But when we're moving from one big moment into another big moment into a really frustrating moment with nothing to stop, your brain cannot keep up with all of it. So that is the end of my presentation. I will stop sharing. And that's me coaching by Maddie on Instagram. If you'd like to follow. That was amazing. That was so good. And I think as well as you're saying they're just doing with a podcast, obviously we guys, we transfer these over to podcasts so that you can always come back to these. So use this time to remember if you are really stressed out, just remember again, you have Maddie at your beck and call, just touch on the podcast link, which we have in the, the Facebook group. So you know where to go with that. Um, yeah, team, let's share some love in the chat. Again, hopefully you're seeing this love there. Um, but I think there was just some awesome, awesome content there. Let's see some of your biggest takeaway, guys. And then what we'll do is we'll just finish the recording and just go for a bit of a week Q&A, if that's cool with you, Maddie.